Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, I'm Dr. Doreen Downing, and I'm a psychologist and host of the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. And today, like most of the days that I do host a podcast here, I'll be interviewing someone who admittedly has struggled with speaking anxiety and perhaps some some has some stories that he will share with you. And in those stories, that's where you, the listener, begins to say, wow, that person understands me. I've been there. And these guests that I invite have had a journey to find their voice. And so that is meant to inspire you also. So today I'll be uh, interviewing Brian Wagstaff, and uh, let me tell you just a little bit about him. He sent me some things I can uh, report about. Since leaving a job in the corporate world with Boeing commercial airplanes 17 years ago, Brian has owned a number of businesses and has been a real estate investor. He has been involved in five different networks marketing companies. And through all of that, he has hired numerous coaches to help him in his journey. And somewhere along the line, one of them convinced him that he needed to become a coach as well. Yay. I can't wait to hear about that. (laughs) That idea scared him, of course. And he spent two years as a real estate agent to figure out that he hated being an agent and that his calling truly was to help people. And an opportunity to buy the Public Speakers Association was presented to him, and he jumped at the chance to develop his speaking abilities as well as spread his message. And Brian, welcome to the podcast today, and we're looking forward to you sharing your journey and your message. Oh, well, thanks, Doreen, for uh, having me. And uh, it was fun listening to that introduction. I mean, it's weird from coming from from the other uh, from the other side and uh, and hearing about yourself. And it was like, wow, that's that's a pretty neat introduction. Yeah, well, (laughs) you you have had a life and you've had lots of lives, it sounds like with uh, several uh, like 17 years in a corporation, and then also just venturing out on your own and then becoming a coach. So you, you've had a lot of uh, mileage to learn. And yeah. that's, that's what we're here today. So we're starting with anxiety, perhaps, that uh, somehow you had recognized as speaking up in public. And so if you can share some stories or something about your memory of what it was like to be younger uh, before you hit the corporate world, I guess, and uh, also uh, your coaching and your public speaking business. Uh, way back when, what would you say are some of the earliest memories you have about your speaking anxiety? Uh, well, I've done a lot of, um, I, like I said, I've done a lot of network marketing, and I did. Um, I was a real estate agent for a while, 
And uh, it seemed like all of those people or all those uh, different jobs, they wanted, uh, I shouldn't say jobs or businesses, wanted me to uh, talk to people on the phone and cold call. And I found out that I have a lot, a lot of call anxiety. So this isn't necessarily related to being on stage or public speaking, but I still, I still think that it, it applies because I think a lot of the reluctance um, for calling, uh, making calls is, is very similar to um, being on stage. Um, but in this process, I, I, I was meeting with a coach and uh, I learned or I, I figured out that uh, my call anxiety came from when I was six or seven years old. And uh, what happened was my mom um, told me that I needed to call a lady in our church about something, something about church, Sunday school or whatever it was. I'm not exactly sure, but I needed to call this lady who I didn't know very well. And um, to me, looking back now, six or seven years old and, and, you know, you have to make a call. I don't know if we can get 14 year olds, 15 year olds to make calls. You know, they're so busy texting. But I mean, I didn't, I wasn't into texting because it wasn't around back then. Um, but uh, my mom wanted me to be able to talk on the phone. And I, I appreciate that she wanted to teach that to me. But anyway, so I was uh, making this call and I didn't know, I didn't know what to say. And she said, oh, well, just, just uh, ask for, uh, you know, if their mother is there. And so uh, I made the call and someone, a, a male voice got on the phone and answered. And um, I said, is your mother there? And by how deep his voice was, I knew that uh, I had made a mistake. And he said, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't lived with my mother for 15 years or whatever it was. I don't remember. Um, and, and then and he laughed. And I, that just uh, crushed me because I was, you know, I, I, he laughed at what I said. And I was like, oh, no, I made a mistake. That was horrible. Oh, um, you know, I never want to make calls again. Um, and after that, I had a really hard time calling someone unless I knew, unless I knew exactly what to say when the when the person picked up. But it was also the fear of not knowing who picked up that that uh, caused a lot of a lot of anxiety. Um, so anyway, and and the coach that was coaching me on this, he said, "Well, is it possible that that man?" Um, he was just, he laughed because it was so cute that you were so cute and that thought had never entered my mind until he brought that up um but i, you know, I want to go on to another story um and it does but before you do i just okay i want to interject here because your story so far in i've done oh, quite a few podcasts i haven't heard this one about it being call anxiety and it's not mm -hmm. so much about getting up and uh, speaking to a whole room full of people. It's not even about being at a meeting and raising your hand. It's about making a phone call. And that's where anxiety was for you as an adult. And yeah. then you traced it back. You remember something that uh, got lodged in your brain. And that's what happens, I think, for, you know, when we look back on our childhoods, that there's, there's an association phone with fright or with humiliation, embarrassment, whatever it was for you in mm -hmm. that moment. And it gets lodged in our brain, deep in our brain, that our conscious mind might not even remember. So I'm glad you shared that. I'm glad that, number one, you shared it was an early memory. 
And a lot of a lot of people listening might want to say, well, that's no big deal. But it was in for a little six-year-old boy who's uh, maybe got already some anxiety or nervousness or discomfort about uh, engaging with people. So thank you for sharing that. Especially people that I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just talking to people that I don't know in general. You know, once I get to know them, I think it's it's much easier. Can I ask something? Sure. <laughs> because you have pointed to that a couple of times now. People you don't know. What do you think is that about the people that you don't know? It's probably not knowing what they're going to ask or not knowing how I should respond. Um, uh-huh. want, wanting to have the right answers or not, or not wanting to look foolish in front of anybody, whether I know them or not. Um, but I think more, yeah, that I, I think that if I don't know them, I'm, and I'm just meeting them and, you know, first impressions are so important. Oh, if I don't make a good impression, then, you know, they might not be my friend. They might not, they might not like me. Well, that's, that's really, I'm glad you pointed to a couple of possibilities because I think that is something that, that anxiety about going into an unknown. In fact, our mm-hmm. conversation is a little bit unknown. You know, it's not scripted. Yes. We're just having a conversation and I'm asking you a question about something and it's not like you have a prepared answer. So I appreciate you thinking out loud about, well, what could be so scary about encountering people that you don't know? And I think it's, I think it might be something kind of um, in that kind brain you know we don't know who this you know like the jungle you know we don't know who this animal is in front of us <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. a human but uh we don't know what they're going to think of us or how do we need to be if we have to make a lot of assessments so thanks but if if we hadn't had a, a one-to-one a zoom one-to-one um beforehand and and i talked to you before this would have been much harder for me to do uh-huh. I mean, I, I, cause you, in that one-to-one, you put me at ease. I was like, oh, okay. I can relax. That's Dr. Great. Dor- Dr. Doreen <laughs> is great and she makes you feel good. And I, I, so I'm not nervous talking to you. Wonderful. I, I appreciate that. Well, you said you had another story. Let's go. Yes. Um, so when I was 14 years old, um, I was excited because I was able to attend a youth conference for my church. Um, you had to be 14 or older, and I just barely turned 14. Um, and so I went to this um, youth conference where there was about 500 kids. There was a gym full, full of 500 or so adults and, um, and teenagers. And uh, we were having a presentation, uh, and we were supposed to dress nice. Um, we didn't have to wear like a suit and tie, um, but we, we needed to dress nice. Um, and so I found a nice shirt, a polo shirt, and then a pair of slacks. And I didn't, I didn't want to wear the shoes that I would wear on Sunday with my suit. So I was like, okay, I, I want to wear tennis shoes. Um, and so I was looking through my shoes and I found I just bought um, a pair of football shoes for uh, the upcoming season. They had never been worn and I was excited about football. So I was like, I think I should wear these football shoes with my with my nice pants and, and nice shirt. Um, 
And I asked my sister what she thought. And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. Go ahead. And my mom didn't say anything, which was surprising because usually she would say, oh, no, you have to wear something nicer than that. Those shoes don't go with this outfit. So I'm sitting in the gym and I'm on the aisle and the speaker up on the stage, um, he's asking for a volunteer to come up on stage. And no one volunteered, of course. I mean, we're all teenagers. No one's going to volunteer to go up there. And he points at, at me and says, hey, you wearing the white, white shoes, come on up here. And, and I was like, oh, I should have never worn those white shoes. If I was wearing black shoes, he would have never noticed me. Um, and so I got up on stage and uh, he had a, a blackboard there. And he said, I want you to write all of your your greatest strengths, your best attributes, you know, all the good things about you. I want you to write those all on the board right now. And I said, and I thought, well, I can't do that. I can't write all those things. You know, that would be, that would be boasting. Um, and so he, he pushed me a little bit more. Come on, come on, go ahead and write them all. And, uh, and I was like, no, no, I won't do it. And, and he said, he said, why won't you do it? And I said, cause I don't want to look like I'm boasting. And, I don't remember what happened after that, but eventually I got off the stage and I didn't write anything on the board. So I didn't have to, he let me go, but I was, I was humiliated. Well, I was, and I, I was just so mad that he brought me up there and I, and I was not knowing what, what I was supposed to do. Like what answer did he want? Was that the answer he was looking for? I don't know. Was he trying to embarrass me? Was he trying to, was he trying to get me to put those things up there so everyone could look at him? I don't know. Um, but at that time, I, th I thought, okay, I should never wear, never wear white shoes with dark pants. <laughs> and, and I thought, I never want to be up on stage being asked questions where I don't know the answer to. Well, there you go again. It's so similar to the other story about uh, being thrust into a situation that you're totally unprepared for. And you have no idea what's being asked of you. And even the answering feels like you can't even take a risk answering the question because it might be wrong or yeah. but all in either, all. No matter, what, no matter what I did, I could be wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. So, no matter what. Oh, you I, I, can't, I can't win here. So I'm not going to do it. Uh -huh. And so um, on one hand, I'm thinking, well, good, brave you for just saying no. <laughs> You're right. You know, it's kind yeah. of like that coach you talked about who said, well, could it be that uh, the man laughed because it was cute? Well, I'm, I'm acknowledging you for saying, I'm not going to play this game. It doesn't feel good to me. It's uncomfortable. I'm going to leave the stage. <laughs> So I guess that, you know, knowing, knowing what works for you and what doesn't work for you. But on the other hand, what we're talking about are incidences that felt like it rattled your body in such a way that you, uh, you carried anxiety with you forward into uh, being an adult. Yeah. You said there was a third story? Yes. Yeah. So not much, late, not much later, while well, I was still 14, I was in a um, junior high band concert, and um, the way the um, the way the music was written, they put in a or the, I played trombone, and so there was music written for baritones, um, and the baritone uh, um, and it 
they put it in there like the, the trombones will play this unless there is a baritone in the band then the baritone would play it and um and so we were practicing it and sometimes the trombones we would play it because we we liked it it was it was the fun part of the music so we would play it with the baritone um and then finally the day before the the concert um our um band director he said okay trombones you don't play we're just gonna have the the i think there were two baritones so we're gonna have the baritones play it um and you yeah you got you guys won't play so then during the concert um where we get to that point in the music and i stopped playing and the other four trombones they they kept playing and they played the part that the band director said not to to let the the baritones uh just the baritones play and so i was super embarrassed um i i was the only one sitting there not playing out of all the other trombones and i didn't know what to do i thought well should i start playing should i you know should i just pick up my horn and start playing this other part and try and figure out where they are um and then i just decided no i i can't do that i'm just gonna not play and then um after the concert was over i said to my friends hey what happened and they're like oh yeah yeah we decided to play it we thought it'd be fun um and the band director i don't think ever said anything to us like hey you guys weren't supposed to do that but in my view everyone in the entire audience was looking at me like why aren't you playing you're supposed to be playing uh -huh. so i was super embarrassed and i had some other friends that were there at the concert and i talked to them later and said, Oh, did you see me? Did you see me do that? Oh, it's horrible. You know? And so what was their answer? Did they say they did notice that you stood out? I don't even remember. I don't I remember. Doubt what it, they... Of course. But I think, <laughs> I think what you're saying also uh, shows us that you may, if we asked a hundred people who were listening, watching, and not a one said you, they never noticed you it still matters most of what you were feeling. So, you know, 100 mm -hmm. people telling you that they didn't notice would not convince you uh, to uh, feel like you had done something that was embarrassing because that embarrassment was in the moment for you. And they, they're trying to say, oh, don't be embarrassed, but you're saying I was. So I think that's mm -hmm. an important point that, you know, other people could try and soothe your feelings but if you felt it there's truth in feeling like oh i'm screwing up here and i don't know just that kind of fright of oh i don't know what i should do should i pick it up should i play should i uh, you know should i pretend i'm playing <laughs> <laughs> yeah what it, it's those moments of being kind of caught i guess is and that seems to be the the theme that of the three stories that you're telling me is uh, you know, that whole deer in the headlights moment that people talk about where you're just trapped, stuck, all of a sudden, you know, they're the yes. light, the bright lights are on you mm -hmm. and, and you can't escape. That's what it, it feels like. You can't escape. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and there's, I don't know how many people were there at that concert. There, I don't know, a couple of hundred, 300, I don't know but it felt like everyone was watching me. Yeah, and so we can say, of course not, they weren't. However, <laughs> <laughs> what you're left with and what people who have fright or have 
any close anything close to a traumatic moment in their life what's left is the sensation the physical sensation of being in the middle of the spotlight trap and that uh, you, you can't get away from it and that's that sensation is what lingers in our bodies and in our brains and in our i think even at a cellular level so mm -hmm. here you are you know you've got these a number of incidences that all seem to add up to the same thing of like ooh, can't i you know i'm i don't want to i want out of here but i can't get out of here and i don't know what to do and um but somewhere along the line now we could talk about well so what was your journey i know you had coaching and um, how how have you been working on overcoming this fright that landed in your body well i think that uh number one the biggest thing is for me to be able to start looking back at these stories and finding them finding them from my past and say oh this is this is where this came from um, because I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't really thought about those stories until, you know, I had coaches ask me about it. And in fact, the one about the, the band concert, I didn't even remember until, I don't know, half an hour before we started recording. All of a sudden it came to me. It was like, oh, that was another time where you were on the stage and you wanted to be, you wanted to be invisible. Oh, I, I, that phrase you just use is, is so powerful. I just felt it run through my body. You know, you wanted to be invisible. Yeah. That seems to be the, the core of what you're talking about. And I bet anybody who's listening right now is probably going, yeah, <laughs> they felt that <laughs> wanting to be invisible. And that, yeah, that's true. Here you are. And you can't hide. That was what I was uh, beginning to really sense is that you can't hide and yet you want to be invisible and yet you're standing out like a, a sore thumb. Mm -hmm. ah, so the connecting the dots and acknowledging that there are some roots to anxiety feels like what you're saying has been useful for you to understand yourself mm -hmm. and to gain a deeper awareness, deeper insight on some of the causes of what might still be lingering. And so when you do do this, when you do start gathering these moments and making the links and getting the ahas, how does that help ease uh, currently? Okay, well, I think that there's two important questions that, that I've had to ask myself after coming to these realizations or, or rem remembering these stories of things that happened. Um, so the first one is, what story am I telling myself about the event that happened? What's the story in my mind? Um, you know, because the story was, um, you know, 500 people are looking at me or, you know, 300 people or whatever it is. You know, all of these people are looking at me and they're thinking about it, even when the concert was over. You know, in my mind, those people are still thinking, oh, what a great concert, except for that one boy who didn't play his trombone while all the other trombones were playing. You know, that's the story that's going through my mind. All of my friends remember it, you know. Um, you know, all of the, you know, maybe the parents of the other kids are like disappointed. Oh, that concert was terrible because of 
you know, this one boy that stood out. Those are the stories that go through, we're going through my head, you know? So it's, um, you know, so what is the story that you're telling yourself? And then what, um, what do you, are, what meaning are you putting on that? You know, what's the meaning from that? Um, you know, I, I was, I guess I was the meaning I was, Oh, you're not a good musician or, Oh, you're not meant to perform in front of people. Oh, you're not meant to be on the stage. Um, those are the kinds of, kinds of things that I, or conclusions that I jump to. So, um, I'm learning that, um, you know, you can't change your past, but you can change the story that you're telling about yourself. Say that one more time. That's powerful. Um, you can't change the past, but you can change the story that you're telling yourself. Yes. And change the story and change the meaning of, of the story, the meaning of what, well, okay, what meaning are you taking from, from that event? That's wonderful. So the looking at the story that you're telling, so it's first finding those events, uh, then it's looking at what story you're telling about that event. And then it's, a, well, what meaning does that mean? What does that mean for you does that mean that you're a a less than human does that mean you're not good at whatever and then so that means we must tell different stories is that what you're getting to brian yes yeah um you know and and i had a coach that told me you can tell yourself whatever story you want so you might as well make it a good one i like that there's so many times today i want you to repeat that say that again um, there are so many stories you can be telling yourself, so you might as well make it a good one. You might as well make it a good one. Well, I hope everybody so you, heard that. Yes. So I guess it's okay to embellish or it's, you know, make it better than it really was. Or, you know, I don't know. Um, so that phone call when I was six years old, I could have, I mean, now I can look back and say, oh, I must have been so cute. I must have been the cutest kid saying the cutest things. I must have been adorable. And I mean, I know like my kids, when I would laugh because they're cute, they would say, what, what did I do? And, and we'd say, no, nothing. You didn't do anything. It's just that you're so cute. So I have, I don't know, I could, I can change that around in my head and say, oh yeah, I can talk to people on the phone because look at how cute I am or look at how cute I was or look at how funny I am or uh-huh. And then what I did with the second story about your being up on stage, I said that was pretty bold uh, for you to refuse to play his game. So what about this third mm-hmm. one that you've just told? What would be a different way of telling that story about being in the band? Um, let me see. I, I, I was coming up with a new story for that. Um, and the only story that I could come up with was, oh, well, I had a different part than the rest of those trombones. They were, I mean, there's a first trombone, a second trombone, and a third trombone. And sometimes not all three of them, three parts are playing at the same time. So I could just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was playing third trombone. The other guys were playing first and second. So, so the third trombones, they had the, you know, eight measures off or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I, I love having had this conversation with you today and especially around some of the wisdom messages that you've given about stories and meaning and tell a good story because we're telling stories all the time anyway so make it a good one that that's what i'm walking that's what i'm walking (laughs) away with 
anything else since we're coming to the end that you want to offer the listeners about uh, overcoming speaking anxiety and finding your voice? Um, well, this all, this all reminds me of um, of how I've I've spent a lot of my life wanting to or worrying about what other people think of me, um, and it was my coach, my coach that that um, wanted me to become a coach. She's the one that pointed out to me, you worry way too much about what other people think. And it ne that never occurred to me that that was a bad thing. And I, you know, I thought, oh, well, shouldn't I care what my mom and dad think? Shouldn't I care what my kids think of me? What? And she's like, no, it isn't important what they think. Um, and it, re it reminds me of a quote that I've, I've recently heard, and that is, you can't change. Oh, no, no, sorry, that was, the, that was the other one that I, my, my other quote. No, this quote is, uh, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. And that's from <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> well, that makes me laugh. And uh, Well, yeah, I mean, those, uh -huh. those people in those auditoriums and, or those gyms that I thought were all watching me and laughing, you know, a minute after I was gone, they, they didn't remember any of that. They weren't thinking about it. I was thinking about it for couple of days, you know? Yes. And, it's and, I, re and I remember it now. And, yes. You know? That's what I was just going to point that out, that <laughs> today you, you found that to talk about and share with us. And wonderful. Well, I hate to end because I feel like there's so much more stories and wisdom that you have to offer. So let's continue this conversation at some point because it feels like uh, what you're doing nowadays is really important. So how do people find you, Brian? Uh, well, they can find me at um, the Public Speakers Association website. So uh, publicspeakersassociation.com. And you're owning that business now and you're welcoming speakers in. Is that what you're doing? Yes. Uh-huh. And in some ways, I think you're helping others find their voice by giving them a platform to come and speak. I know you gave me that one day, so thank you. No, you're welcome. Well, that's the, the end of our podcast for today. And I want to thank all the listeners for having gone to Apple Podcasts and write these fabulous reviews that you've been doing, as well as giving five stars to this podcast and your comments about how people show up and how they're real and they're authentic and they tell stories that have depth and are the people get like today. Thank you, Brian, for being vulnerable and unzipping and self-disclosing some moments that are embarrassing for you, <laughs> but also having shown us today how to go get through what a journey to go back and find those moments, but also what a process you can do to empower yourself today by retelling stories so that they are good ones for you, that they make you stronger. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at doreen7steps.com. 
We hope you enjoyed the show and will return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.